This is Digital Marketing Fastlane. This podcast will show you how to build, launch, grow, and scale a widely successful online business. Listen to real conversations with proven practical strategies and success stories. You're going to learn how to generate more traffic, more sales, more profit, and customer lifetime value for your online store. Coming to you from the online marketing experts at Boy Media, here's your host, Kevin Urrutia. Hey everybody, it's Kevin Deruta here with Digital Marketing Fastlane. I'm joined with my co-host, Eric Philippou. Today we have a special guest. We have Eric Sue. But first of all, let's start off with Eric Philippou. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Good. Another great day today here in the city. It's almost it's Thanksgiving week. A lot to take off the next few days. But I'd love for us to introduce our guest today, Eric Sue. Hey, Eric, can you please introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Thanks for having me. Uh, so name's Eric Sue. I operate in the world of marketing. So it's an ad agency that I have and then a marketing software company I have. And then I do a podcast called Marketing School and another one called Leveling Up. And then I actually have a book that's coming out called Leveling Up as well. I just enjoy learning and I just enjoy teaching what I learned to help me articulate my thoughts, enjoying life day by day. That's what it is. I've listened to your stuff before. Did you have that podcast called Growth on Marketing or Growth Podcast super early on, right? Yeah, it was called Growth Everywhere, but we've since renamed that to Leveling Up. Yeah, because I remember listening to you for Growth Everywhere, and I was like, whoa, this is crazy good podcast. And I think for you, Eric, you started that super early before podcasting almost took off. I started it super early. It's just that I didn't put all my focus into it. We can talk about content marketing in a bit. I basically started that before Tim Ferriss even did his. Maybe talk to us about this content marketing in general, how you decided to do this initial podcast. Podcast wasn't a thing or anything like that at all. At the time, there's a guy named Andrew Warner, and he has a podcast called Mixergy. He was kind of the guy that started before everyone else. And I just wanted to do something that was similar to Mixergy, but more of a marketing type growth spin on it. Because at the time, background was I was VP of growth type of deal. That's before I even started with my businesses and all that. So that's the only context I had. And then I just wanted to get these amazing people, entrepreneurs or authors or whatever, and just learn from them. So that was the ultimate goal. I wasn't trying to become really big or famous. I think the number one KPI I was optimizing for was my rate of learning. Were you at Treehouse, Eric? And when you were at Treehouse, were you doing growth or SEO? What was, what was that like? It was a more general marketing? It was everything. I mean, it's, I had a team under me. I had data scientists under me, designers, developers. So we we're kind of covering everything. I would say the most impactful thing that we did was betting the entire company on YouTube advertising and that working out and helping us get to our series B. How did you get to that point to be this VP of growth, that high growth startup? What was that like for you back then? Were you always in tech Silicon Valley type of space or is something sort of happened? This actually ties in well with the whole concept of leveling up, but at age 23 or 22, I had a dead end job coming out of college and I went to a decent college. That's the best job I can get was $32,000 a year doing data science. At least in the US, it's not that good. From there, my friend told me, hey, like there's this uh, digital marketing thing. You should check it out. Got an internship. And then after I got my internship within the first year, I basically, I changed jobs five times, not because I was getting fired or anything, but because my rate of learning was slowing down. I always learned to chase the opportunity and not chase the salary because I just wanted to continue to get better. That was around age 24, 25, I already had moved on from five jobs. And then by age 25, 26, I was already SEO strategist at this media company called Break Media, which I think they're called Defy now. And they have websites like break.com and all that, which I don't think is popular anymore. After that, I basically got fired for trying to start a consulting thing on the side. So they found out about it and they fired me. And then from there, I was actually really excited the day I got fired and started doing consulting on the side until the treehouse opportunity became available. And luckily the CEO gave me a chance because the people I was competing 
competing with were seasoned VP slash CMO background people. They gave me a shot. And from there, it was at Treehouse for eight months until the opportunity to come help this other company called Single Grain. I'm happy to talk about that story, but that's basically the transition. So it was basically within, I think, three to four years, I was already the number two at this ad agency. And then at Treehouse, was the CEO Ryan Carson? That's correct. I remember listening to some of this stuff. He had like a ton of conferences, Forward Web or something like that. I think you have some questions you want to ask Eric about like the personal branding. One thing that sticks out about you, I admire a lot of marketers, and I think you even had a couple of YouTube videos on it recently, is your ability of personal branding. Between the podcast and the agency, even I was looking on your agency's website, there was a job role for personal branding assistant, one-man media company or something. Something related to that, you have a huge emphasis on personal branding. I was wondering, how's that helped you venture into different business opportunities? That's a great question. I'm happy to talk about kind of where things are now, but that, that actually is my number one focus. Now that we have operators that run the other businesses, my number one focus, the highest leverage activity I can do besides doing deals is to create content, right? And I'm happy to talk about that later. But I basically decided to start doing the podcast when I had to save this agency called Single Grain. The company was on fire and I was spending six hours a week on the podcast. And I just knew that if I eventually was able to power through it and start to build an audience, whether it's through YouTube, podcasting or whatever, good things would happen, right? So I'll, I'll tell you, you asked about some of the benefits. One of my closest friends right now, he actually used to listen to growth everywhere. And then he invited me to speak at his conference. From there, became really good friends. Now we pre-COVID, we travel all the time and then we talk all the time. In other scenarios, I'm walking around at a conference and then one person will point at me and say, podcast guy. And then we'll stop and we'll talk. They've actually still continued to be a client to the agency for the last two or three years and they've paid us over seven figures. I'll give you another scenario. The way we got our basically like an 800000 dollar a year contract for a marketing school for advertising was because the person that did the deal with us from that company, they listened to the podcast. So I think what I will say is the benefit is people know who you are. They'll stop you in niche areas and you don't have to be a celebrity, which I'd actually prefer not to be. And your sales cycles are a lot shorter. The lifetime value of the customer is a lot higher and they just like you more because they treat you as a friend. That's what it is. I was thinking about that a lot because I see the difference, your agency, the logo, different brands you've worked with, you see their logos on those sites. It's very, very impressive with the personal branding. I imagine it snowballs the authority. I think you're in marketing tech now. Does that personal brand help you in the marketing tech world too, especially if you're probably targeting marketers? So there's a couple of things. One, I'll say the way I did it initially was wrong. I don't recommend splitting your focus between all these different channels while you're trying to save a company and while you're trying to run a company. I think now that I'm just starting to focus more on like, okay, I need to focus more on YouTube podcast. It's going to get, the quality is going to get a lot better. I would say I kind of half-assed a lot of it up till recent years, right? So you don't want to make that mistake. And I'm happy to talk about that. Can you repeat your question? I lost my train of thought. One of your newer ventures is a marketing tech SaaS. Uh, yeah. yep, so how yep, does yep. that help you targeting marketers? With growth everywhere, because when I started that, I had already come from SaaS. I understood the tech world. Mm -hmm. I positioned it that way. And so that allowed me to... I think it's in two weeks or so, I'm speaking at Saster, the, the other conference, SASDOC, which is in Europe. I've spoken at a couple of times. I think it's a matter of how you decide to position yourself. And my world, even the ad agency focuses on working with SaaS companies, right? Because that's mm -hmm. what we know. And so, I mean, that's totally up to you how you want to do it. I think if you try to make yourself too general, marking school is very general, but the way leveling up is positioned, even though it's the title of my book, with SaaS, that's what most people know it for. Eric, can you also maybe just give our listeners a rundown of ClickFlow and maybe how it's used for them when you started it too? 
We started about three years ago. So ClickFlow is software for content teams or even SEO teams. And the tagline is, it helps you grow your traffic while looking like a genius. And what that basically means is it tells you when you're writing an article, what keywords you should be adding in terms of what you're trying to optimize for. It also will help you run title and meta description tests to see which one gets higher click-through rate. So to get more traffic coming to your site. And it does a whole host of other things. It tells you when you're losing traffic on top content and all that. We're trying to fill a gap. And I happen to be known in the world. It's funny, sometimes people just, say I'm the SEO person. We'll take advantage of that. And that's what the software is for. The personal branding is so important. People know you as SEO and then say, hey, you build a software, got to be good. And of course, you want to make it the best software that is possible. That way, obviously, you don't want to get clients to churn. How was that transition from, obviously, you're doing a lot of like service-based stuff, SEO, marketing. Now you're doing a SaaS. How does that change? Did you ever do tech or software before you were doing your agency? What was that like? Did you have to learn all this stuff? It wasn't a super hard transition for me because I had worked in SaaS, right? And I worked with great product people, great designers and developers. And then over the years, I continued to follow SaaS and just continue to get better just through reading and talking to people. And so for us right now, it's all about how much customer development can we do, right? How much can we learn and iterate on that? And then get to a point where the product is remarkable and it has a nice aha moment. And then we can start to ramp the thing, right? It's just how do you get the formula right? And then you ramp it and then you kind of reap the rewards there. My whole goal with taking over single grain, the reason I took on the company when the four other founders decided to quit was because I knew that if I could turn it around, I could, the way with agencies, it's not exponential revenue, right? It's very linear revenue. And so I wanted to turn it around and then take the cash flows and reinvest it in other more durable or exponential sources of revenue. And it's just an investment game, right? That's kind of my seed funding for everything that I need. Obviously, Single Grain has grown. And was there ever a moment where you wanted to just rebrand it or just like, did you always want to call it Single Grain? Just a question. Just maybe we'll change the name to something different. Or was it always like, let's just stick with the branding that I purchased it at? No, because it wasn't really a big deal to me. I think Single Grain's a fine name and it can be interpreted in so many different ways, right? And now it actually works in my favor because if the title of my book is leveling up and there's a single grain thing, well, you grow from a single grain, right? And then you level up from there. So I can craft whatever story I want. Our logo looks like it's a Phoenix egg because it's orange. So I can make the argument that single grain is we're continuing to grow and we're, we're constantly reborn. So now there's a lot of great stories I can tell around it. But the main reason I didn't rebrand it was because our website was singlegrain.com and we're building a lot of authority around it from an SEO standpoint. I just didn't want to redirect stuff. I didn't want to come up with a new name. I just didn't have the time at the time to deal with that. Some people like the name, sometimes they get so caught up in it, but it really doesn't matter the name is as long as you show the brand or as long as you're trying to make it better and then single grain makes sense, then you just make it into a story. I can tell you for ClickFlow though, we took a couple of weeks on that one and we actually used Clarity to reach out to a couple of naming experts and some of them would charge thousands of dollars. What my co-founder and I ended up coming up with were like, what's important to us? Well, you know, we talked about the concept. We wrote out, down a bunch of words that were important to us. And the one we aligned on was having freedom, having a sense of life is zen or it's flowing flow. What does ClickFlow do? Well, it actually does help clicks flow, right? We're helping you drive whether it's SEO traffic or other traffic. We're trying to get that going. That's how that name came up. And then eventually we're able to get the domain. And then going back with ClickFlow, how big is the ClickFlow team? I know you said you had a co-founder, but is it you and him doing all the tech and marketing, or do you have another team behind you that's helping you with like obviously content marketing or even just development of the software? I'm not involved in the day-to-day -day on it. We have an operator that runs it, but the team is small. We did raise a small round of about $400,000. And I believe there are six or seven people working on that right now. So your team's pretty big. I really like how you're thinking about things such as like, you're like the founder, the person that thinks about the ideas, then you have operators. Where did that mindset or mentality come from and how did you sort of learn it? 
I read this book called Rocket Fuel and the whole concept is there's two types of people in the company. You have a visionary and you have an integrator and the visionary, obviously they come up with the ideas, but the integrator actually makes it happen. The whole idea here is that you can have that for one company or you can do this for a bunch of other companies, right? And you can develop a playbook for it. And so that's how I see, I like to get things going. I like to stabilize it. And then I like to move on to the next thing. Maybe you run into this, Eric, too. Some of us like, oh, why is this possible? But people are doing this all the time. When you're like a multimillionaire company, you probably have 20, 30 divisions. You have operators running them and you're the CEO. So it's not this weird concept that sometimes people think about. It's just a different mind shift change or just really how some of these big conglomerates are run. There are other companies that you should work for. Break.com, that, that's like a subsidiary of the main company, correct? They had a whole host of different web properties. I wouldn't say they're completely different. They are different in terms of subjects, but it was kind of the same concept across the board. You don't need to be doing the same thing for like 20 years. You can do something for four or five years and then switch around. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool about the SaaS. All my questions are in personal branding, something I've been interested in. Basically, if you're starting out today, let's say the people listening right now, they want to improve their personal branding, maybe in the marketing space or whatever other space they want to grow in. What would you suggest they do to get started? I think it depends largely on what you're interested in, what you're good at. 2010, there wasn't a lot of the channels that we have right now. And I enjoyed writing. So I started with blogging. What I'm used to now in 2020 or now approaching 2021 is I'm more interested in things that are fast. So whether it's cranking out a quick YouTube video or a podcast, what I would recommend is if you're good with audio, go with podcasting. If you're good with video, go for YouTube. I just think blogging is a lot more competitive. So you kind of have to go in a different direction. There's obviously a lot of tactics there, but what I would say first is figure out what you're good at, start with one channel, start to get it going. And then you can think about diversifying once you start to get some initial traction. Would you grow it, your personal brand, another brand with marketing funnels and even paid traffic and email marketing? How would you approach it? I've always done it organically. What I would say is typically with growing, not even just personal brands. Like if I look at the single green blog, when I took it over, we we're getting 4,000 visits a month. Now we get decent traffic, about 350,000 visits a month, but that takes time to compound. That took about three to four years to compound. And when I look at growth everywhere, it took two years to start to see good results. And then now we look at marketing school, that still took some time too, even though it was a lot faster. But the point is, if you want to run paid media towards it, what you can do is run people to some type of amazing offer, get people on your email list, and then try to, Russell Brunson talks about this a lot, right? You run people to a free plus shipping offer, and then you can have like a, a one-time offer afterwards. You can basically collect email addresses for free. So you could probably want to Google that. I think a lot of people have tried to grow through paid in terms of growing their brand. I don't think that works out too well. I think, you know what works out really well? If you want to pay people to do collaborations. I personally haven't tested that out. I've just done organic collaborations and those have done well. That's really helpful because a lot of us marketers listening to it, we do paid traffic, we do email. We're probably thinking, oh, I'll do the same thing. Just the page name is my name instead of a business name. With YouTube for that one, it's all about having a good title and then the right targeting the right keywords. My YouTube channel isn't huge. We're at about 50,000 or so. It's because I didn't focus too much on it. Now that I am, we'll see what happens. I interviewed this guy named George Gammon. He is a guy that talks about macroeconomics. It's just something I started looking into a lot more during the pandemic. All my channel said was how to prepare for what's coming with George Gammon. Usually if, if I have a really good video on my channel, it's like five to 10,000 views or so. But that video in the first couple of weeks jumped up to 36,000. And it's because I targeted his keyword. If you can target trending topics, or I guess his name would be a trending topic too. You just got to stay consistent. That makes a lot of sense. I'm looking at personal branding. I know a lot of people who have a strong personal brand. They do have an authority in a lot of other ventures they go into. It's definitely an advantage. Would you almost consider personal branding as another essential piece to building a brand as a marketing channel, such as media buying, email? 
Val Ravikant talks about four forms of leverage. There's code, capital, and then there's labor. And then the fourth one is media. Taking matters into your own hands. Sure, you can leverage the Facebooks, the Instagrams of the world, but taking matters into your own hands, building an email list and all that, that goes a long way. This is the entire reason why I'm doing this leveling up book because the book is expanding, it's kind of moving me into another area besides just marketing, because I used to do esports before it became a thing. And now it's like, okay, there's 3 billion gamers in the world. Is there an opportunity for me as a marketer to send the right message to these people to help them out? And then boom, all of a sudden I have this other audience. It's very similar to how Mr. Beast on YouTube, he's got 10 million subscribers on his gaming channel. And then he's got 46 or 47 million subscribers on his other one. The whole idea here is that you understand how important media is, but you also understand the importance of segmenting out your audiences a little bit. And then you can figure out how to serve them. So I am a big proponent of if you're starting out from scratch right now, I would say if you have the luxury of time, you start with the building up the media first, starting to build up the attention, and then you can figure out how to serve people later, which I think you see a lot of these TikTok stars doing right now. That's interesting. Do you use TikTok at all? My team tried to start one and we just repurposed a lot of content and we just decided to focus on other areas. I think the focus right now for us is YouTube and podcasts are number one, and then we kind of have everything else. Obviously, people come to you as an expert at digital marketing, you have your podcast, you have tons of shows. How do you think about that sometimes internal mentally pressure that you have constantly be learning things? Is that something you think about? Because there's people out there just saying like, oh, I want to know what Eric knows this month. Is that something that you think about? And how do you maybe deal with that pressure sometimes? I'll just give you my process. It's not too difficult once you actually start to do it because every morning, usually before I start the meditation and the workout and all that, I actually go to my phone and then I look at all the newsletters that are out, whether it's Wall Street Journal, I might read The Economist, Espresso. I just read these and I'll read about trends. I'll check Google Trends or Twitter Trends and even Mashable examples. And then I'll give my marketing take on it. That's one example and I'll do that in the morning. And then I do read a lot during the week as well. Not as much as Warren Buffett. He's like five plus hours a day. But for me, I'll spend anywhere from 30 minutes, an hour and a half reading books and then reading also stuff I saved from Twitter. And then I also look at what's happening with Twitter. So everything's very curated in terms of the information that's flowing into my head. And then I, all I need to do is distill it a little bit and give my opinion. And that's it. Once you get the, the engine going, once you build the habit, it's not so bad. I figured people want to know what's Eric thinking about this or what's Eric's take on it. A little bit overwhelming sometimes. But yeah, once you have a habit, it's much better. Totally. Maybe this is something that happens a lot in the digital marketing space. Obviously, you're partnered with Neil Patel, another big marketing guy. You both have agencies, but yet you're still a partnership. And I think it kind of shows how with any space, it's not like a winner take all. There is room to partner with other people, other brands. How do you think about that when people ask, are you partnering with somebody? Are you afraid they're going to steal your clients? You're going to steal this. How do you think about that? You probably meet founders. Hey, what's your idea? They're like, I can't tell you. How do you deal with that thoughts and maybe those negative thoughts that people sometimes might have? How old are you guys, by the way? 31. Turn 29 day after tomorrow. The reason I asked that is because when I was about 27 or so, I first joined entrepreneurs organization. So EO, I had that mindset before where I was just, oh, that guy's a competitor, blah, blah, blah. And then I just remember one of the members said, hey, look, and she has an agency. There's business to be had everywhere. And that's generally how I look at just all businesses in general. And I see, especially in tech, a lot of people are friendly with each other. What I would say in the case of Neil and I, he actually started the agency a year or two into us doing the podcast. It's been going well for him, but we don't look at each other as competitors because here's the thing. Neil is not in the day-to-day -day of the agency, nor am I. So we kind of don't care. And then sometimes we actually do end up competing on deals and we'd rather lose to each other than lose to somebody else. So to us, it's not a big deal, right? Because there's multiple streams of income for myself, multiple streams of income for Neil. So we're not really losing any sleep for one client or anything like that. I think that's happens as you get older. And also as you realize there's so many ways to make money and you don't need to like stress out over one way. 
if you lose a client or a deal, it, there's always going to be somebody else out there, especially going back to what you were saying before, where you're building this stream of influence, a stream of places where they can find you. And you probably have more people that want to work off you can take on, can't even do the work. <laughs> Eric, another question that we have for you is obviously here at Roy, we do a lot of e-commerce companies. Is that something that you guys got to not to do? And how do you think about maybe hot space right now of like everybody going direct to consumer? What are your thoughts on space in the market right now? I think it's great that you guys decided to choose that niche because obviously it's doing really well right now. For us, we generally just focus on SaaS. I mean, we do take a portion of e-commerce clients that come to us, but it's not something we actively seek out for because realizing early in the agency game that if you try to be everything, you end up being nobody. What ends up happening is the conversations are a lot easier when people realize that you specialize. The contract size are a lot bigger and all that, and they stay a lot longer versus you can play the other game. And I, what I will say is for Neil, they'll take on a lot of different types of niches as long as they're big customers. So so he's fundamentally targeting different types of customers than I am. At a certain level, when we want these big customers, they're going to be industries that you may not know of, but you kind of know the concepts. Where for us, we're in this middle phase of kind of D2C brands, e-commerce starting out, but have some traction. We probably do a lot of more SaaS stuff. Do you do a lot of investments? You're saying you're doing investments that I think you were doing pitching for other companies pitch you a lot. The people that I follow on Twitter, it actually gives me some insights into who I should connect with and who I want to invest in. There's a little bit of angel investing, but most of the investing I do right now is mostly in the markets and then dollar cost averaging crypto. Yeah, markets are hot right now. Everybody's up 50% and this Robinhood in crypto is also crazy today. The last question we have for you is probably worked throughout your years, you worked with so many brand new companies and established ones. What is the mindset of someone that's starting out versus the mindset of someone that's like been in the game for a while? How do you see that shift or focus? What are your thoughts on that? Probably the biggest thing to try to keep it succinct is when you're 23 or 25, you're constantly comparing yourself to someone else that's 35 or someone that's done more than you. And you know, the cliche is don't compare your chapter one to someone's chapter 25. It's true because when you're younger, you want things to happen tomorrow or you want things to happen yesterday. And then you realize as you get older that it's okay to slow down. And as long as you're consistent, as long as you are working smart and learning the right things, you'll eventually get there. Probably one of the most motivating things for me when I was younger is understanding that Walmart wasn't started until the guy was in his 40s. McDonald's the guy didn't steal McDonald's until 60s. And then you have Coca-Cola, all these different brands. Even Jeff Bezos started Amazon when he was 30. And so it's just take your time and then just be persistent. Most people are either too scared and once they get going, they give up too easily because they can't take the pain. And so I guess another thing would be enjoy the pain. The pain is necessary. I think that's a unique advantage I have given the, the Asian cultures. They teach you to understand pain. And so that's what it is. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Know a little bit about your book, when it's coming out, and then maybe where they can come going to connect, find your other shows. The book, it's called Leveling Up. It's how to master the game of life. And actually the forward of the book is written by the founder of Activision and Acclaim. And so the entire concept is gaming is a gateway to real life, just like sports is. And life is just basically a game. And business to me is the ultimate game. It's basically about different power-ups you can collect throughout real life. You can actually get a free chapter of the book. Just go to levelingup.com, get a free chapter in there. We're doing pre-orders right now. You can go to your favorite online retailer, just type in Leveling Up Eric Sue. But if you want a free chapter, levelingup.com. And that's basically it. I appreciate you coming on and listeners go definitely get a free chapter of the book and get an order of the book when it comes out. Thanks for coming on. It's been really cool to learn from you. Obviously following you last few years and even in preparation was pretty cool. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. This week's episode of Digital Marketing Fastlane was brought to you by the performance marketing experts at Voy Media. Join us again next time as we'll be bringing you more tips, techniques, and know-how to make your online business the very best that it can be. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we'd love to hear them on Twitter at Voy Media. Thank you.